Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. What's up, football fans, and welcome back to another episode of the NFL Whip Around. I am Jeff Hartman, and joining me as always on this Whip Around National Football League, Coach KT Smith. What's up, Coach? How's it going? What's up, man? Just gearing up for a Super Bowl. Do you got any? You got any Super Bowl traditions that you gear up for? No, I really don't. Uh, none. <laughs> we watch it as a family. Uh, I, I'm I'm not one. My wife will say this openly that she despises me watching sports with other people because she fears that they don't know as much as I do about the sport or in anything. And she feels very awkward. So we always just stay home. <laughs> I hope that makes sense. You know, that would be like someone watching the, the Super Bowl with you, a football coach played collegiately and then making these dumb comments. And that <laughs> makes her uncomfortable. I don't mind it. I'm just going to ignore it. It makes her uncomfortable. So we just stay home. But what do you do? You have a do you have a party or anything? Yeah, we have a big party every pretty much every year, unless the Steelers are are in it, and it hasn't right. been that in a while, unfortunately. But yeah, you know, like I, I I've I've learned to live with my mother in law screaming, "Get them!" Yeah, I was uh, "Get them's always get solid em. advice. Yeah, get them. That's, that's <laughs> <laughs> and you know, though, and why did they run that play? I, nobody asked why did they run that play after it worked. They only right. they only asked why did why did they run that play after it failed? So. But it's fun, man. We got a core group of friends. A lot of them are, are coaches and you know, youth coaches and high school guys. And we'll all get here and, you know, have have some drinks and some food. It'll be a good time. Now, I have to ask for a purposes later in the week. Do any other fans for Sports Network employees get this invite? I'm not. I don't live near you. But still, like, I need to know for my own purposes for uh, another well, a Pez's Picks podcast. <laughs> uh pez will not be in attendance yes. but, but, but the big man will you know the oh yeah, the, the big CEO. man will be there, so. all right well maybe one day i'll get an invite but let's talk about the <laughs> super bowl super bowl 58 is upon us it is hard to believe it is a little sad for me as well because the nfl season is coming to a close yes the new league year starts march 13th but the chiefs and 49ers are going to go head to head on sunday 
For the Chiefs, it'll make three Super Bowl titles in five years if they win. Something only the Steelers, Cowboys, and Patriots have ever done. If the 49ers win, they would tie the Steelers and Patriots for the most Super Bowl titles ever with six. Which achievement do you give more like credence to or weight? The three and five years for KC or the six overall for the Niners? What about you, Kevin? Yeah, I think those are both interesting. Uh, the Lifetime Achievement Award for San Francisco is obviously pretty impressive. But I think in this day and age, winning three and five years would be a pretty significant accomplishment. Just given the way the league's structured now with the salary cap and the scheduling and the draft. I, I mean, they really have built this thing for parity. And I honestly didn't think you'd see a mini dynasty emerge for a long time, if ever again, once they really you know, decided to, to kind of structure everything this way. Uh, I think what Kansas City's done is especially impressive, given the fact that they've that if they win it this year, it will be with a very, very different style of team. Like if you think back to like the San Francisco 49ers or the Dallas Cowboys, who were, you know, when, when they were on their Super Bowl runs in the 80s and the 90s, it was really the same, the same kind of team. It was, it was the the same core group of players. Uh, but this is really a different Kansas City team. The skill guys from those first two Super Bowl runs are largely gone. New guys are in here, and they're now really structuring their their success around their defense so for me man yeah i i I would think three and five years in this environment is pretty impressive when you just look at the numbers like we've had this is the 58th of these things that the nfl has had and the most that any team has won is six like that that's remarkable when you think about it and so the 49ers getting to that point would be something special but then when you consider those three and five years. And for all the reasons that you just said, I feel like that's a little bit more significant because there, there aren't those type of teams anymore. It just doesn't seem like it. Like you mentioned the the league just does not seem to be set up or willing or wanting to go down that road all the time. They want parity. That's what the NFL wants. They want every week you're watching because you don't know what's going to happen. The dynasties of the Patriots in the two thousands, they don't really want that anymore, but it's, it is remarkable how, when you look, compare it to other professional sports. Okay. So you go to like the NHL, the Montreal Canadiens have, have won a ridiculous number of Stanley Cup championships. In baseball, the Yankees, just an absorbent number. It's incredible. I think probably the, was it the Lakers in the NBA probably have the most titles. Yeah. Boston and the Lakers. Yeah. Yeah. And so then you have six. Six is the most. And that's why I love the NFL. That's why I love football because it's not just one team winning it 26, 27, 28 times. I think it's awesome. I think it's good for the game. You agree or disagree? No, I do. And I think it keeps fan bases engaged. There aren't too many fan bases in the league right now that are, are really tuned out because the opportunity that you have to, to get good quickly uh, is significant. I mean, you look at a team like the Houston Texans. I mean, they were terrible a season ago with three yep. wins. And, and now it wouldn't be shocking if we were talking about them in this game a year from now. So you can have that turnaround in a very short period of time. And it's a great strategy by the NFL. I think that what, what Kansas City's done um, is interesting, too, because you look at it on, on one level and you say, oh, well, they're, they're, they're just following the recipe. You get a great coach and a great quarterback, and you can go on a run like this. But, but that's not always the case. They've had to make a lot of really, really smart, calculated decisions along the way to stay – at the top. I mean, think about it, man. They let Tyreek Hill walk. That could have been a disaster. 
really yeah. backfired on them. They've they've rebuilt their defense by investing in kind of like non-premium positions. I mean, their their money's being spent at defensive tackle, at linebacker, at safety. I mean, everybody's investing in edge rushers and corners these days. So they they haven't really they've kind of taken some chances along the way. Uh, but they've really in in some of those crucial decisions, they've they've hit the nail on the head. So kudos to them for for doing a great job as they transition from one Kansas City team into another. Let me ask you a question that's about the viewing experience for you when you're watching a non-Steelers Super Bowl. Do you feel the need as a viewer to kind of be pulling for someone, or can you just objectively watch the game and enjoy the game? Because I'm at that point where we're going to do our prediction later in the show, but I'm at that point where I really don't care who wins the game. Like, I, I don't have – neither of these teams are – bitter rivals with the Steelers or anything like that. I don't have a dog in this fight, so I, I don't, I don't really care. I'm just going to watch the game. I'm trying to put myself in that, in that mode. Can you do that? Or do you find yourself always trying to pull for one team or the other? No, I don't care at all who wins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm rooting for a great game. I mean, yeah. I've got a little bit of a, you know, and I've talked about, obviously I got the local connection with Pacheco. Correct. So yeah. we got, I got, I'm rooting for him for sure. And I probably would lean Kansas city as a result, but uh, I, I just want it to be a great game. I want it to be a game where everybody's, you know, now it's for me, it's a party, man. I want the party to be fun. I want there to be, True. I want, I want it to be a game where with four minutes left on the clock, you know, you don't know the outcome and everybody is still there and rooting and having a good time. I mean, that's great for the sport. What do you, what do you provide? Like, okay, we're talking about your party now. I, I find this fascinating. <laughs> we can talk X's and O's for the rest of the show. What's the dish that you're providing that everyone's like, oh yeah, I'm here for coaches. What? Pulled pork, man. Nice. Makes some mean pulled pork. So awesome. Very yeah. good. Do you do uh, block pools or anything? Yeah, we'll do the block pools. Uh, I got one of those goofy like prop bet things where, which I'll tell you who loves that man. The wives and the moms. Yes. They love. They love. They, they want to know. Like they bet the over under on how long the, the national anthem is goes and who wins <laughs> the coin toss. There's always a crowd, and that's part. Isn't that part what what makes the NFL or the Super oh, Bowl yeah. great? Is it's just a total fan experience. Yeah, it's 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 an it's an event. It is, and it really it could happen all the time. But for some reason, it's just the Super Bowl. Dude, I've seen people do bets on the number of beer commercials. Like it's incredible the stuff that you can bet on. And that's something we talk about on Pez's picks. He's not a fan of the block pools, just so you know. But <laughs> <laughs> let's go to the second topic. Let's go to the second topic. Perhaps the most attractive matchup in the Super Bowl is Kyle Shanahan's offense versus Steve Spagnolo's defense. Which unit unit do you expect to be more successful this Sunday? Yeah, oftentimes, uh, what makes a great game are the matchups within the mat, the broader matchup, right? And, and in in this one, I think the X and O, those are two guys, two coaches who can really scheme the heck out of the game. You look, you look back to the uh, championship games. You know, uh, Spagnola really blitzed the heck out of Lamar Jackson. He was undeterred at all uh, by playing cover zero. I mean, he, he, he was locking his guys up man to man and coming after Lamar Jackson. And, uh, and, and that was a really effective strategy. Will he feel like he can do something similar against San Francisco? The tricky thing with San Francisco on offense is they can create matchup problems all over the field, whether it's with Kittle or Debo Samuel or Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk now has emerged as a top level wide receiver. So if, if you get too aggressive against San Francisco, they've got answers for it in a way I don't think the Ravens did. 
So it would be interesting for me, man, as a, as a, as a fan slash coach, as a, as a fan watching the game, but also trying to sort of digest it from a coaching perspective, I'm going to be really interested to see if Spagnuolo remains aggressive, uh, as aggressive as he was in the AFC championship game. And then if he does, how does Shanahan handle that? So I, I think right now the Kansas City defense is playing lights out football. So for me, the, you know, I just think that they've got a little bit of the edge in this matchup, whereas the San Francisco offense has been inconsistent. They, they probably got outplayed in both of their divisional games by, uh, by their opponents, but were able to, to rally and pull those, those games out. Uh, so I don't think they can do that against Kansas City. I think they got to be consistent more throughout. Let me ask you a question because I'm going to lean on your expertise in that in that regard. You know way more about the X's and O's than I do on both sides of the football. I think often about this extra week of prep, and I wonder if it leans one way or the other. Meaning, do you ever think that maybe a defense would have an advantage over an offense with the extra week of prep? And sometimes I think about, and this has only happened a handful of times in my 13 years when I was coaching as a head coach, not football for anyone who's just listening, lacrosse, doesn't matter. I had extra time to prepare for an opponent and I spent so much time. I mean, I was just meticulous with trying to find that one little wrinkle that's going to give us an advantage almost to the point where I drove myself crazy. And then eventually once the game starts, you just revert right back to what you've been practicing all year anyways. But do you think there's an advantage one way to the offense, to the defense? And then the second part of it is, I I don't know, can coaches, overthink things when they have a little bit more time than what they're used to? Well, to the second part, absolutely. hundred percent. You, you can definitely create paralysis by analysis when you, when you have all this time to digest what your opponent has done. uh, And then you try to have a, you, you know, you, you want to get into the perfect look against everything that they can throw at you. Uh, Sometimes you can just sort of, you know, grind yourself to a halt in doing that. I think the most effective thing you can do in games like this is you can look at, you know, you can make, remain true to what you do best, but you can find a wrinkle for some of your core things by anticipating how, how your opponent's going to prepare for that. So if you know on offense, for example, if you line up in a certain formation, uh, you, you can have a pretty good idea about how the defense is going to line up to counter that. And then so you might want to say, all right, I'm going to give them one wrinkle on this standard concept that we've been running all year, but I'm just going to run it from a different look. And, you know, you just try to expose the, the reaction of the defense to that. Like you, you go back to last year's Super Bowl, Kansas City really won that game. They scored two touchdowns on plays where they were in the red zone inside the 10 yard line. They sent a man in motion all year long. They've been running him in long motion across the formation. So from the left all the way over to the right. And they knew the Eagles would get into man coverage and they would send a defender all the way across the field with that motion man. So what the Chiefs did instead was they started him in fast motion, and then right about when he got to the offensive tackle, he turned around, pivoted, and went back in the opposite direction and out into the flat. And the defender who was running with him got caught up in all the wash with all the linebackers in there and all the mess, and they scored on two consecutive possessions to take the lead in that game on those plays. And that's a great example of of saying, like, hey, here's a thing we've done all year long. And here's us being able to anticipate how the opponent's going to react to that. And now here's the little wrinkle we're going to add to exploit their reaction. I think you can do those things. If you try to recreate yourself or you try to over plan to take away every little thing that the opponent can come up with, I think you're going to do yourself a disservice. 
did you like the extra time when you've had it as a coach or did you, would you prefer to just stay in the rhythm of the regular work week? The players know what to expect. Did you like one over the other? Um, we don't generally get the extra time unless we're preparing for something like, like a Thanksgiving day game, which would be a big thing when you'd get, uh, when you'd get off, uh, you know, a week off and then you play on that Thursday. And I generally don't like it because I'm dealing with 17 year olds, man. You know, (laughs) they're not good in unstructured time. No, they're not. So the more structured we can stay with them, the better. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. All right, good stuff. Let's go to the next topic. Patrick Mahomes, Brock Purdy, and CMC Christian McCaffrey are the players with the best odds to win the most valuable player of the Super Bowl. Who's an under-the-radar player you think could surprise everyone by winning the award? Yeah, I, I was thinking about a, on the defensive side of the ball, there, you know, there's there's some playmakers, but nobody picks defensive players. Uh, that's yeah. a, a that's a rare occasion. Rare. So so the guy that I'll go with is, is Rasheed Rice. I think Rasheed Rice for Kansas City – uh, is their best weapon at the receiver position. He's been getting better as the year goes. Uh, he might be a guy now, you know, like it's tempting to pick Pacheco, but I don't think Pacheco's is under the radar as people think anymore. Um, and I, I can see, you know, I can see a situation where, where you know, uh, San Francisco does everything that they can to take Kelsey away. Uh, and then it maybe opens up some opportunities for them on the outside and them hitting Rice with a couple of, of, of big bomb touchdowns, so to speak. How about you? Oh, my gosh. Come on, Coach. Tinfoil hat goes on. Think about it. The Chiefs win the Super Bowl. Who do you want accepting the most valuable player award other than Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey? <laughs> you didn't list Travis Kelsey in the notes, so I'm going to take Travis Kelsey. If he has a performance like he did against the Bravens, 11 catches on 11 targets over 100 yards and a touchdown, it's going to be tough to say that it should be someone else. But I'll he, say, if he has that performance, man, Steve Wilkes should get fired, right? He, uh, well, Steve Wilkes you, can't you let. Could say the, you could say the same thing about the Ravens, though, couldn't you? Well, and then Mike McDonald got, got promoted job. after that. I know he got a promotion. <laughs> That's what I'm day. saying. Like you could say the same thing about the Ravens because they let him have 11 catches on 11 targets for over 100 yards and a touchdown. And I think the, the Ravens, not the Ravens gambled Sunday. that the Ravens gambled that Kyle Hamilton would really be able to take him away more so than I think that they thought that he could. Um, and I thought, you know, I don't know if that's something San Francisco, you know, we'll, we'll look at their, at their personnel and say, Hey, we got a guy. Cause Kyle Hamilton's kind of a freak. Yeah. I, if I, if I had Kyle Hamilton, I might be tempted to just man him up too and say, go do your thing. Um, where, so with San Francisco might be a little more of a collective effort. I will be, I will be surprised if, if Travis Kelsey wins it, not uh, only because I'll be surprised if San Francisco lets him win it if they give him That's enough true. space. Now I'll give now, you one now for- again if the scriptwriters in the NFL yeah. decide that he'll win it, you'll have a field day. Thank you. Now I'll say one uh, if I'm going on the other side of the docket again. I don't think a defensive player wins it. I'd go with Debo Samuel because I think Debo Samuel, if he's healthy, he has the skill set to be able to do so many different things. You know, he could run the football, catching the ball. He could put up some touchdowns. They use him in the red zone. They use him all over the place. If I'm not going with the big names that we already mentioned, that's who I might go with. So Travis Kelsey's really good, and he played with an edge that I had never seen him play with, really, against Baltimore. If he brings that again, it's going to be interesting. That Who, who would you match up against him if you're San Francisco? <laughs> Fred Warner? Um, He's going to torch Fred Warner. I think, I think with Travis Kelsey, you have to constantly change the looks. I think if, if Andy Reid gets a beat on what you're doing, that he'll exploit it. 
I mean, I mean, the, the, you can't play you can't play a man all the time. The Chiefs have so many picks and rubs and motions and all that stuff. It's really hard to play them, man. You gotta you gotta be able to zone it. They'll probably have to bracket him, you know, where they got like one defender assigned to any outcuts that he makes and another one to the in cuts. So they'll have to really get you know creative. That's where the extra week helps, where you can really say, hey, how do we you know, prepare to take away a guy? All right, let me give you this scenario, Jeff. Real Go quick, ahead. ready? Ahead. Here's the scenario. Tell me what you do in this scenario. Right. Travis Kelsey wins the MVP. Chiefs win the Super Bowl. All the confetti's coming down. They they hand him the MVP trophy, and he gets down on a knee and he proposes to Tay Tay. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> this, that's exactly where we're headed. <laughs> if he does, oh my gosh, that would people would be pissed for no reason. I don't know why, but they would be upset for no for no logical reason. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I'm really anxious to see what these matchups look like when we actually get down to the game, which speaking of the game, let's step away from Super Bowl 58 and let's talk about Super Bowl memories. The best Super Bowl memory of all time. Coach, what's yours? Well, we're both Steelers fans. So That's right. uh, obviously these will be Steeler centric, but yes, I mean, you know, I have these vague memories of being a little kid and the Steelers winning you know, their early, their early Super Bowls. But the one that that's in my adult life that really stands out is, is Super Bowl 40 uh, because it had been 26 years. I mean, the Steelers won Super Bowl 13 when I was a, basically like a little kid, man. I was, I don't even know how old I was, maybe 11, 12, something like that. Um, and, and then it had been 26 years. And, and those, so you go through your high school years, your college years, your 20s, those years where you're like the most passionate as a fan. And nothing. And then you get to Super Bowl 40. And I, I just, you know, I, I almost had a heart attack in that game. I was so anxious in that game. At one point, at one point when Seattle was coming back in that game, I went outside into the dark in the backyard by myself and started jumping on my son's trampoline because I was so nervous and I was so like, I couldn't take it, man. Uh, but when when Antoine Randall L threw that touchdown pass to Heinz Ward to to kind of salt that game when you when when you finally knew that made that made it 21 10 with about four five minutes left or so and then i that was when i knew oh my god they're gonna win the super bowl that was such a i don't even know if the emotion was elation so much as it was relief it was just this like 26 years of frustration that finally dissipated uh and I, it was a, like a euphoric moment in a way so i'll never forget that yeah i mean the one for the thumb that eluded the team for a really long time, like you mentioned. And I will say this, that that that's that postseason in 2005, I've said this openly, but my favorite memory of all time is the divisional round win over the Colts because it was who I was with. It was where I was with the game or where I was. The game itself was just absolutely insane. That game felt like the Super Bowl, if I'm being honest. Yeah. And the AFC championship win over Denver didn't really feel like much. The Super Bowl didn't even feel like much, but it was significant. We get that. For me, I'm going to have to go with Super Bowl 43. And the reason why is we had just welcomed our son into the world, our oldest. I still can't believe it's 15 years since they won Super Bowl 43. Uh, he was born in November. So this was obviously February of, of the next year, 2009. I remember watching it with my brother, my sister-in-law, a couple other friends. And, uh, Man, that last drive was just remarkable. And that game had so many moments. You know, the James Harrison pick six at the end of halftime, right before halftime, and then that drive. It was the whole drive. See, people that aren't Steeler fans only know the touchdown that Ben threw to Santonio Holmes, but it was the entire drive that was just absolutely remarkable. Just yeah. been fantastic. And 
for them, for I, I always like the offensive side of the ball for the offense to go out and do it when the defense had done it so many times. You think about the AFC Championship game that year where Troy Polamalu picks off Joe Flacco and returns it for a touchdown, gets him there. The defense lets Larry Fitzgerald score. Like, what is going on? And then it's the offense with that crappy offensive line that bails him out. <laughs> so I'll, t- I'll tell you a quick story uh, about sure. that. So Darnell Stapleton, who was one of the yeah. starters on that offensive line, went into college coaching uh, about four or five years ago. He was coaching at Bucknell University in, mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania, and he came to recruit one of the players at our school. So I got to talk to Darnell Stapleton for a little bit. That was pretty cool. And I asked him, I said, yo, I said, hey, you got to tell me, man, what was it like in the huddle when you guys went out onto the field for that game winning drive in the Super Bowl? I said, what was it like in the huddle? I said, did, did Roethlisberger give you like a big rah-rah speech or were you guys fired up? How did it go? And he said it was the total opposite. He said, nobody said a word. We got into the huddle. He said Roethlisberger came into the huddle and he said, let's go to work. And that was it. He said it was all business. And I thought that was fascinating, you know, like, like, man, in that yeah. moment, you think somebody's going to give like a Newt Rockney type speech, you know, but let's go to work was a great message. It was a great message. And, and you compare that to the infamous John Candy drive with the <laughs> yeah. 49ers and it was the Bengals, I think that yep. year. And so just incredible moments. Um, do you have any non Steeler Super Bowl memories? Well, I will say it was cool. Uh, I don't remember what nu- what number it was, but uh, back in 2017 when the Eagles beat the beat the Patriots to be with all my friends uh, at my yeah. Super Bowl party uh, and and just to kind of have them there. And, and I hated you know hated the Patriots, man. So I was rooting as hard as they were for different reasons, but as hard as they were, <laughs> and and that was cool. I mean, you know, they had never won the Super Bowl, so you know, like my one friend who's older, he's in his 70s. He's a retired teacher who, who we, you know, still hang around with or whatever. He was crying. I mean, you know, he was he was he remembered the, the Eagles 1960 championship game when he was a little kid. So, it, you know, it had been forever for him. And that was a cool moment, man, to be with all those guys. The Philly special, they went bonkers when they ran the Philly special. Like I'd have to go with it. See, here we go. Steelers ties like we hated the Patriots so much in those 2000s that when Eli Manning beat the Patriots so they they didn't have the perfect season. That was by far, it was a touchdown pass to Plexico Burris. I'll never forget over the shoulder. I was like, oh, yes, they're not going to do it. They're not <laughs> yeah. going to get the perfect season. Yeah. Thank God, because I hated the Patriots almost as bad as I did the Ravens at the time. So we could tell stories for an entire episode, but let's uh, go to the last topic here. Here's our mandatory off the field question of the week. Five years ago, there were 136 underclassmen who declared for the NFL draft. This year, 58 underclassmen more players are staying in college transfer portal rules nil deals that are getting they're getting paid to stay what's your overall take on this scenario this whole scene college football do you think some like one league will say the 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 league and college football does anyone suffer or does this benefit the sport what do you think it's really interesting man the whole thing's in transition kirk herb street the other day was on talking about how he thinks college football is being destroyed. Yep. Uh, I, you know, for a long time, the, the college football athletes were, were largely treated uh, like commodities with, and they didn't have a whole lot of rights. You know, good, you know, one of my best friends from high school played on full scholarship at Pitt and, and people would say, Oh, well he went to school for free and that's true. But there was a lot of stuff behind the scenes that people don't see that really made their lives difficult in terms of not being able to, to hold a job and not being able to choose their own classes. And I mean, they were, they were really like 
uh, you know, young men who, who were very much controlled and manipulated by the university. And then everything flipped, you know, and, and now these, these athletes are basically treating college football like it's a business. They're making business decisions, whether or not to, to stay or transfer, whether or not to, to go to the pros or come back because they're making, you know, the NIL money. You look at like Travion Henderson, the running back at Ohio State. Uh, he's, he's got like a multi-million dollar NIL deal and he could have gone to the draft, but he just figured, all right, if I come back, I can improve my draft stock and pocket a couple million along the way. So I don't know how it's all going to play out to be quite honest with you. I, I, you know, this, this next year, the conferences get realigned dramatically. You got West coast teams in the big 10 and the, you know, the big 12 is turning into something else. The pac 10 is disappearing. So it'll be very interesting to see as they expand the playoff. And as as the, the this transition occurs, whether or not college football remains the college football we know, or does it become more of like a, a, a minor league for the NFL with a big separation between the powers and the and the mid major, so to speak? Well, no matter what, something has to change. I don't think it can survive the way that it is right now. Kids transferring all the time. It, it's incredible. I, I feel like it, you know. Do they go to like a to like a contract route, which is something that I had Scott Kennedy on my fans first uh, football show because stats is in Las Vegas on Radio Row. And he said, you know, maybe you structure this like you do contracts in the NFL. And he, he was saying, like, you you come to play for me. That's fine. You're going to sign a two year deal. We're going to pay you. But you got to stay here for two years. And if you leave, well, then that's a breach contract. And all this stuff. Maybe that's the way they're going. I don't know if I like that. I feel like they should just tell every player you get one transfer. You get one transfer in your collegiate time, and then that's it. The NIL money, there's people that are taking pay cuts to go to the NFL. Think about yeah, that. That's crazy. And can I just say one thing about this? Can we can we give Reggie Bush his Heisman back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Can we give the guy's Heisman trophy back by now? Like, what point are you making? The, the dude did everything that no one else, everyone did that back then, I'm sure, at right. USC. He wasn't the only one. I think Lendale White came out and said, we were all handed just socks filled with, with money. The right. socks with money. I don't know, coach. I just don't even know where it would end up. Like, I don't understand how this doesn't just eat itself alive. And then what? Then what do we have? Nothing. And one, one thing that's a shame is it's killing high school recruiting. So many of these schools are are not investing in high school players because they're waiting on the portal. If they can get a guy that's got three years of college football experience, who's 21 years old, they're going to take that, that guy in a heartbeat over a, an 18-year-old that they're not sure – whether or not that kid's going to develop or get homesick and want to go home or, you know, fail out. And there's too many questions about the high school kids. And, and that makes it tough on the, there's tons of high school kids who just love football and they're just looking for an opportunity to play for four more years. And they're kind of getting squeezed down the priority list. Yeah. It's, it's weird. And I agree with what Kirk Herbstreit said. I heard his comments, read some of them. Something has to change. Like they have to change something, whether it is you go back to like that, division one a and then the rest of the group i don't know something's got to change and i've never been a big college football guy myself but this makes it even worse because now where are these players because they're moving all over the place you got guys transferring coaches are leaving coaches are going to the nfl nick saban openly basically said i'm retiring because i didn't want to have to recruit my own players anymore yeah (laughs) he said i already got them here and i have to keep recruiting them to stay so they don't leave He's not interested, so he's just done. I get it. So we'll see where that goes, and I'm sure that'll be a talking point as the NFL whip around will not 
end after the Super Bowl. We'll be back all offseason talking about all the latest and greatest. Let's finish this up. No player profile this week. Prediction time. Super Bowl 58. Who wins and what's the score? What do you got, Coach? You know, I thought San Francisco was the best team in the NFL all year long. Um, but there's a lot of times when the best team doesn't win the Super Bowl. A lot of times by the time you, when you get to the Super Bowl, it's the team that's playing the best football. And I really think that's Kansas City. I, again, I don't think that San Francisco played a complete football game in either one of their playoff games at home. Uh, I think that they were they were fortunate to be playing two young and inexperienced teams uh, who, who let them off the hook. And I don't think that they can do that against Kansas City. So despite the fact that I think San Francisco from top to bottom is the better team, I think Kansas City's playing better football. So I'm going to go 24-20 Chiefs. So you said 24 to 20. Okay, so the over-under or the total right now is 47 and a half, but the 49ers giving two. They're favored by two points, which is interesting. So you're you're taking the under and you're taking the Chiefs. Chiefs and the under. That's correct. I agree with the Chiefs. The score, though, it, there's there's something about this game which that 47 and a half seems really high to me. I don't know why. And and maybe it's I, I still have the 17 to 10 Chiefs Ravens AFC championship game stuck in my head. And I'm thinking, okay, it's not going to be that high scoring. Can the Chiefs score with the 49ers if the 49ers are moving it? Because we've seen Kyle Shanahan's offense move it and they do a very good job and they can score some points. I'm going to go Kansas City, though. I'm going to go Kansas City. I'm going to go. I'm trying to think of a funky score. Let's go with uh, 20. Now I'm going to go 27 24. 27-24. So that is the over. That is take the Chiefs on the money line. I'm not playing that bet. <laughs> well, no in, in the uh, in the block pool that I'm I'm in for a, a fundraiser that that some of my my friends are doing, the numbers I got are nine and five. So, <laughs> so I'm, I don't know, man. I'm rooting for like a 25-19 game or some you know, garbage like that. But you have to hope for you're, you're you're sitting there and you're like, oh, okay, maybe they'll have a missed extra point or they'll go for two. <laughs> I know. I love when there's a safety and everybody in the room is like, you know, elated yeah. or or crushed because of it. <laughs> I mean, I, for my my dad, he he belongs to all these bars. You know, like you got to be a member and all this. He gets on probably. 20 to 25 Super Bowl boards in total. Some of them are $500 a square. Some are $100 a square. He and his buddy, they they basically just they split everything down the middle. The dude wins his money back more than he does in every year. It's it's really crazy. And he'll go around and find out. He'll go to a bar but like, oh, Joe, you hit you hit the, the board. You hit the halftime score. Really? I didn't even know. It's collecting money. I'm not that big into it, but still. All right, Coach, any final thoughts for the Super Bowl? No, again, like I said, I'm just rooting for a great game. Uh, I don't care about the halftime show. I don't care about the noise around it, the pregame spectacle and all that. Uh, but like you said, it's it's the last meaningful football game for a long time. So I'm going to enjoy it, and then I'll have to figure out what the heck to do on Sundays afterwards. Yeah. Hope you're taking off work on Monday. <laughs> thinking about it. I mean, no, no, I'm not thinking about that. Are any employers who may be watching. So <laughs> Yeah, seriously. All right, what's coming up on the call sheet this week? Yeah, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna uh, obviously preview the, the game, gonna talk about some some of the best Super Bowls and trying to rank some of the best Super Bowls, Ooh. not necessarily by final score, but by uh, matchup and the drama of the thing and best plays. We're gonna kind of do like a sort of Super Bowl, the best of 
the the Super Bowls. So I think that'll nice. be a fun show. That sounds like a lot of fun. You can find Coach also on the Steel Curtain Network YouTube channel. Just did a breakdown on Arthur Smith's his second part of it, two-parter of the passing game. Go check that out. Uh, you can find all of our work at the Steel Curtain Network. Anywhere where you get your podcast, search Steelers, you'll find it. In the meantime, Coach, enjoy the game. We'll talk next week. We'll break it all down. Take it easy. All right. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. 